Number 764 has been announced, and we're delighted to mark that and use that later in the service. So good to be able to be here on this Sunday morning. Have a, isn't it true God has been so good to us to allow us the health and the means and the other consideration of strength and mind and body to allow us to come together today? Three fundamental decisions. As you can already tell, we shall step through some considerations this morning about three fundamental decisions. This opening slide will be an introduction to that idea based in the following way. Isn't it true that the Bible speaks about in Acts chapter 17 that God has provided and blessed us with all things that pertain to life and that blessing connected to God as the giver of life certainly reminds us of the potential, the possibility, and the goodness connected to life in this flesh. But may I pause long enough to say, there have been those who have made studies and counts. Isn't it amazing how many decisions that you and I make every day? It's been estimated that each person, at least in a general way, literally makes hundreds of decisions every day. Now, to be sure, many of those decisions are rather minor, and in the grand scheme of things, they really don't impact a lot of other people. What set of clothing you choose to wear? I mean, biscuits did you have for breakfast? When you pass someone on the highway, do you do it now or a microsecond later? Point is, lots of little bitty decisions, and they're just a part of life. But isn't it true there are some big ones? Decisions that will ultimately impact not only one's life by and large here, but quite frankly, in all due course, likely will impact eternity. Will I be in heaven or will I be in hell? And what about you? You see, many of the decisions that you and I make now, these big ones, will not only have a tremendous impact on settling a lot of little decisions, but it, quite frankly, will likely determine where I'll spend eternity. Why don't we, you and I, spend the next few moments this morning giving some thought from the Word of God about matters connected to this, and this next slide will be our opening discussion. My first question, one that would, I would invite each of us to seriously consider, it may sound so basic and it may sound so elementary, but it never ceases to be that critical. How do you and I look upon that book you're holding in your lap? What do you think about it? Be honest. I'm not interested in what you may have heard somebody else say about it. I'm not interested in hearing what your granddad may once have thought about it. I want to know what you think about it. Is it really the Word of God or not? Because if it is, that settles a lot of stuff. That will determine your answer to a lot of things that will happen in life because if you believe it, and if it really is that way in your consideration, your answer is already determined. You won't have to stop and think about it when that situation arises. The answer is predetermined. And that's what I mean by three big decisions. A lot of the decisions of our life will boil down to a very small number of them that we made at one point. Let's reflect upon this Bible. It's certainly true that there will be occasions in life when there are rather militant and aggressive adversaries and opponents to the Bible, and you may have to address them and face them. But in all likelihood, 
the greatest of threats comes not in that scenario, but in the day-to-day living, the regular behavior and means of life in which you and I will appreciate, am I serious about the Bible or not? Look at some of the things about the middle of that slide. There has been a movement underway in our country for just a tad over a century. It's the humanist movement, and it has been extraordinarily successful. It has made inroads in concocting the thinking, by and large, of the human family in our country and many other countries as well, in which God has summarily and rather carefully been excised for most everything in public life. Many times we are now forbidden to include God in the ways we would like to in schools, forbidden to include Him in rather particular ways in other governmental or civic exercises. Point being this, the typical affront, or at least the opposition that you and I will face, it won't be from some militant high-ranking scholar. It'll be from the person next door. It'll be from a family member. It'll be from someone else who really doesn't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And if you and I love them and we appreciate them, their viewpoint may soon become our own. For we will grow to think like they do. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And the psalmist said it like this in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. In verse number 160, The sum of thy word is truth. 32 verses earlier in Psalm 119, verse 128. Isn't it true that there we appreciate one more time the majesty of the Word of God like this? Every word of God is right. It doesn't contain falsehood. It doesn't endorse such a thing. It is, of course, that which is right. Aren't you impressed then as you give thought to those circumstances where that fundamental decision will then dictate a lot of other things. For instance, those who believe that man came about by some evolutionary process. Really? It's not what the Bible says, and so that settles it. I don't need to give thought to whether or not that's right. I don't need to give any consideration, not even a minuscule of time, as to whether or not that could be a possibility. I know the answer already. And it doesn't matter how scholarly a professor may say otherwise. It doesn't matter how my children's teachers may feel so differently. It doesn't matter in the slightest. The decision's already made. And as far as various civic considerations and other matters that garner such national attention, there are those who can speak with great affinity about certain things like abortion or euthanasia and on and on the list may go. On occasion, they can almost sound persuasive if you listen to them, but hear me now. For those who are committed to the Bible, that matter is settled. We know that it isn't right. It doesn't matter the circumstances. The point is, one's commitment to the Word of God has settled a whole host of other potential scenarios and matters that can be matters of wrestling in the mind of man. But for those that love the Lord and those that love His Word... This issue has already been dictated by the decree of heaven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus asked this question in Matthew 19? 
we all know the kind of issue that has troubled the human family in terms of marital arrangements for millennia. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? I would point out that's as pertinent a question now as it was 2,000 years ago when they asked Jesus that thing. Now, in that day and time, they had their considerations, and there were camps who felt differently, and there were those who had public debates about it. Jesus asked this question, Have ye not read? I think that settles it. If we go back to this book, marital matters are considered now solved. We know the answer. Man may struggle and wrestle with it, but if we simply are committed to the Bible, we have the answers to all of these things. We know who is eligible to marry and who is not. We know the kind of circumstances that should prevail in a marriage. We need to ensure then that our commitment to the Bible is firm and secure so that when we are faced with matters and situations, we act in the way we claim that we practice what we preach. We're committed to the Bible, aren't we? It is the Word of God. May I say then that once that matter is settled, it puts us in position to have the answer to a whole host of additional issues that may trouble some people. What about a second one, however? Could I ask you about this one? What's your commitment to the church? What's my commitment to the church? That again will in many ways settle a large number of potential considerations. Other things that might offer challenge or difficulty or even great mental struggle in the mind of some. I would begin this comment just like I did before. There are those people who are militantly opposed to the church. And you may encounter them, but by and large, that won't be the likely source of the troubles that might arise. You and I live in a world, in a society, that has very little respect on the whole for the church. People have their belly full, the refrigerator full, six or eight cars in the garage. They just don't see any need for God, and especially for the church. On Sunday... Why can't I do something else? I know the church assembles, but I sure would love to be fishing, golfing, watching TV, going to the beach, the lake, anywhere else. In fact, I think the weekend's a great time to binge watch the last 25 episodes of my favorite show. And if I don't have to go to church services, that sure would be a great time to do it. I can sleep late, get a fine start, and watch every bit of them by midnight. You can begin to see how little the church means to some. You and I need to recognize the fact, though, that on this slide there are some rather common considerations that will cross your mind and mine. And may I assert to you, the devil will make sure that we face these things. What the church means to you will become evident it'll become evident at some point. Look at some of the things I've asked you to consider. Without a doubt, the church is the single most important organization on earth. Nothing ranks to it. You can go to heaven without being married. You can't go to heaven without being a member of the Lord's church. The church is that fundamental. Our Savior died to establish it. 
It required the cross. It required the agonizing crucifixion of which you and I read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It required heaven stooping to the point of sending the Son to die. The church is not a fly-by-night arrangement called Plan B. It is not something that's an optional or insignificant issue. The church is that spoken of in some of the verses I ask you to notice on that slide. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even His death would not prevent the establishment of this greatest institution on earth. His blood purchased it, Acts 20, verse 28. And doesn't it continue to be fascinating to notice that there's only one of them? When Paul would say there is one body in Ephesians 4, verse number 4, and he echoed a similar sentiment in the very next chapter in Ephesians 5, 23, when he said that Jesus is the Savior of the body. A reminder to all of us that just as any normally functioning creature, there's one head for one body. And the Lord's body is the church. In Colossians 1, verse number 18, Paul, in writing to that church at Colossae, pointed out to those brethren that the church is his body. The nature of that body is something that we should strive to ensure remains in the forefront of our understanding, our appreciation, our thinking. The church needs to mean a lot to each of us. We're Christians. We're those who love the Lord, and that being said, we love His church. Look at the next verse on that slide. In Acts 2, verse 47, on the very day the church began, the birthday of the church, Acts chapter 2, the very last verse in the chapter says, And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved, such as should be saved. All saved people are in the church. Turn the logic around. If you're not in the church, you're not saved. That's the Lord talking. That's a reminder to each of us to appreciate that my faithful membership, my commitment to the church must be supreme. Didn't Jesus put it like this in Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And when the Lord thus said, you've got to seek it first, the church can't be number 12, number 8, number 4, number 3, or even number two. Our love for the church and our appreciation and our defense of it surely must be a keen matter of appreciation in each of us. What's your commitment to the church and what about mine? It is a sobering question, isn't it? But once that one is settled, it answers so many others. Look at this next slide and just consider briefly some of these. For if our commitment to the church is that keen, we certainly won't be an element of blasphemy against it by railing or accusing her of certain things. And it also means I will never, ever choose to miss one of her assemblies. There may be times I can't be here due to disaster, illness, tragedy, or otherwise. But I'll never, ever choose not to be there. Because by doing that, I'm making an open choice visible to everybody, including the Lord, of where the church is in my priority. And it's certainly not first. 
I'm choosing leisure, entertainment, work, or any number of other things over the kingdom of the Lord. Isn't it interesting then that once that's settled, look at how quickly it answers everything else. My favorite team's playing on TV, and guess what? The game starts at 4.30 this afternoon, and it's going to last for three hours. Doesn't matter me in the slightest, nor you either, because I'm going to be in the services. Because my love for the church is more than the love for that ball team. Sometimes in the family, there could be other considerations, such as that connected to something the grandchildren are choosing to do, or the visit of family members. I'll invite my family members to come to the church services, but I'm not staying home for you. The church is assembling, and that's where we'll be. What does the church mean to you? What does it mean to me? Is the kingdom first in your life or not? That's an issue each of us need to address. But once that one is made, my boss says I need to work. It's a somewhat optional matter. It's only overtime, but it requires me to be there at 7 o'clock Wednesday night. I'm sorry, sir, I won't be there because the church is assembling and I have a higher priority. Classes can sometimes be scheduled that meet on Wednesday night. I won't be teaching them. I trust your commitment is just the same. The church is assembling, and my greater priority is there. Do you and I love the church? Does it mean everything to us? Once that one is settled, it answers a lot of other potential issues. So far, you and I have looked at matters that challenge each of us because the Lord went to the cross. He came to show forth to us what the will of God is. Heaven is a prepared place for a people who are prepared for it. And our commitment to the Lord as it exists in the church and as it exists toward the Word of God asks us to reflect again on what issues may well present themselves as great challenges. Let's look at number three. What's the third one? Young people, listen to me carefully. These lessons are beneficial for all of us. They mean everything, quite frankly. But young people, who are you going to marry? Of all people on earth, the one who will influence you the most is not your boss, not your neighbor, not otherwise first or second cousins. Those people may mean a lot to you. They may be those who you look up to in some ways, but the person you live with, who you love more than anybody else on earth. That person whose perspective you cherish and value and adore and who's there to support and be with you throughout the difficult times of life, you grow near to them. Their viewpoint toward the Bible, their viewpoint toward the church will have an incredibly large bearing on your viewpoint toward the same things. If they don't love the Lord, they're not going to encourage you to do it. If they don't love the Bible, they're not going to encourage you to read it. If they don't lift high the banner of absolute obedience to God, they're not going to encourage you to do the same. It's a sobering question. Who are you going to marry? 
Let's step through some of those verses on that slide. You may look at the bottom and appreciate that God has a time. And we in this country use a system, that system of courtship and dating. That's a time to learn whether this person will help you get to heaven or not. It's a time to appreciate what this person's value system is all about. Is their values consistent with yours? During that time, could I remind you of verses like Proverbs 18, verse 22? Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. God didn't say she'll be dropped in your lap. you got to find her. Search with the diligence and care using the Bible as the lens through which you look. Finding someone who loves the Lord more than anything else, including you. Their commitment to God must be supreme. And if that's the way that they feel, they will then be the guide or the assistant, the help, the encouragement, the partner for life that will be the person of faith and comradeship and encouragement in every way that you need in your journey toward heaven as well. Some of the verses on this next slide ask us to make application of texts like Amos 3, verse 3. It's probably the most famous text in the book of Amos. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And as Amos used that, reminding the people about their commitment to the Lord... They weren't walking the same way God was, and so they were on a divergent path. If you agree with God, you walk with Him. That principle has much to say here. And so young people find you a person absolutely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. That person whose faith and encouragement and strength will be a source of sustenance spiritually for you. And when you give that kind of thinking, when you pursue it in that way, notice you are then making preparation for a foundation of strength, not only for yourself, but for your family, your children, others whom you may influence with this person. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 5, we read about even the apostles. Many of them were married, and yet they had the privilege, they had the blessing, they had the prerogative of marrying a child of God, a sister in the Lord. When you give thought to these kind of encouragements, it is an insistence that the Word of God would wish for your eternal well-being to be strong and to be mighty. The last verse I invited you to consider in that place was a text found in 2 Corinthians 6. It is something that I would encourage you to, to consider with care. I realize the applications are rather broad, and I realize many things and lessons could easily be drawn from it, but at least for the time being, look at this one. Paul in writing says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And that word infidel means unbeliever. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And then Paul continues by saying, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, 
and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so, young people, think with care. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Believers, unbelievers, there is a great difference in value systems between the two of you. You highlight and cherish the things of spiritual character that aren't seen, spoken of in 2 Corinthians 4. And yet a person who's not of that category, at least at this point, has chosen a different set of emphases and priorities and a different set of thrusts in life. The value systems don't match. If you want to go to heaven, that decision may likely be the one that determines above all others how that will work out. Three great decisions. Let me turn the slide to one final one, and it's merely this one. A moment of conclusion. It's been our goal to think today about some basic elements in life, really, but things which are quite meaningful, things shared with us by the Word of God. And each of us can ask this question, What does the Bible mean to me? Is it the Word of God as it claims to be, or is it something else that's beneath that position? Because again, the devil will ensure that you face moments and decisions in life wherein that will become evident. Secondly, what does the church mean to me? Is it really the blood-bought body of Christ? Or is it just some other organization kind of like the Rotary Club, kind of like a local civic organization, something like the Chamber of Commerce? If that's all the church means to me, I can't expect that I'm going to be saved thinking like that. We read in Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, and I'll leave the lesson at that point. Paul said in that passage, "...to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God." according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose of God is presented in the majesty and reality of the church. And then finally we ask, who will I choose to marry? That person who for some number of decades perhaps will be by my side. That person's way of thinking, that person's perspective on life will have an extraordinary influence upon my own. Today, there may be someone in this assembly that has reached the point in life when you would wish to become a Christian. You've reached the point of recognizing that what took place at Calvary was to make possible the redemption of your soul. And perhaps you can't wait until we get ready to sing this song so you can come down this aisle. You see, we would wish to be in a position of encouragement and support. We only want to make use of the plan of salvation as, in fact, the Lord presented it. Believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Turn aside from them, striving to no longer live according to them, no longer pursuing or supporting them. Confess the greatness of His name as the Messiah and be baptized. That's merely a burial in water in which the Lord's blood washes your sins away. If we could help you in that way today, it'd be our joy and delight. If though you have known the way of Christianity, 
And maybe for a while you lived expressing over overtly commitment to both the church and the Bible and in all other aspects of life. But maybe in recent days, recent weeks, maybe recent months, it has become clear that your choices are not what they once were and what the Lord would want them to be. Well, at this point, would you please be very thankful that there's still breath in your lungs and clearness in your thinking. And you can make a choice and you can make a change. We'd be delighted to encourage you, even as your statement today could be an encouragement to us. Repent of those sins. Confess them. The Lord has promised to forgive them, 1 John 1 verse 8. And today, if we could be of some assistance, some help, some encouragement, we'd like to offer this opportunity. Brother Eddie has chosen this song of encouragement. We'd like to use this as the opportune time to encourage you to come. And once you do it, if you have need, while together we stand and while we sing.